We'd be surprised if you haven't at least heard someone mention this by now, but Utah is growing, and it's got Utahns worried. Here, for instance, is an excerpt from a Deseret News article. I find the settlements crowded up to their utmost capacity, land and water all appropriated, and our young people, as they marry off, have no place to settle near home. The resources of the people are exhausted. If that quote sounds a little old-timey, that's because it is. That's from an article published in 1885. Back then, our population was less than 200,000. Today, we're past the 3 million mark. And yet, the issues sound very familiar, especially about not being able to settle where we want. The point is, growth is not new to Utah. It's part of who we are as a state. Luckily, we have a long history of Utahns who knew that how we grow matters. We have to be thoughtful and intentional about accommodating the growth. If we're not, we can end up feeling overcrowded and unaffordable. They understood that it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to stop growth and maintain a good quality of life. But just because Utahns have, on the whole, made pretty good decisions about growth since 1847, that doesn't mean it's a given. We still need to continue that legacy today if we want to preserve the things we love about Utah while keeping our state a great and affordable place to live. This is the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. Envision Utah's podcast about how we make sure Utah is a great place to call home now and for generations to come. Today's episode is part two in our series on housing in Utah. In part one, we talked about what our housing crisis is and where it came from, how the median home price is out of reach for the median home buyer, and how growth, a large millennial generation, labor and supply shortages, and even land constraints have made it hard for housing to keep up with demand. We also promised that there are solutions to the housing crisis. But we should be clear, these solutions aren't going to turn back the clock. The median home price is probably not going to go back down to 350000 And most people are probably not going to be able to buy a big single-family home on a quarter-acre lot 15 minutes from downtown with their first job out of college. But that's not necessarily the goal. Instead, we envision a future where Utahns from any background or any stage of life can find reasonable homes that they can afford in communities they want to be a part of. So let's take a look at what it takes to reach that vision. First, let's look at the basics. We have a crisis in housing affordability because we have a housing shortage. Like we talked about last time, there are a lot of factors contributing to that shortage, but at the end of the day, we have a demand for housing that is out of balance with our supply of housing. We can't really control demand. As long as Utah is a great place to live, think strong economy, great outdoors, vibrant neighborly communities, the kids who grow up here are going to want to stay here or eventually come back, and out-of-staters are going to want to come here but we can ultimately control the supply. So in its most basic form, the solution to our housing crisis is simply more housing. Well, that's it. Thank you for joining us today on the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. Next time. Okay, okay. It's not as simple as saying, let's build more housing. Remember, how we grow also matters. Dayon Eskich, senior research fellow with the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, put it best. It doesn't matter what your views on housing, but people need roofs over their heads. And so we're going to have housing, right? So how you allocate that across different densities is really kind of the challenge right now. To get our supply and demand back in balance, while we keep Utah a great place to live, we need to consider what kind of housing we build, where we build it, and how that all works with our existing communities. So let's start with what we build. Housing comes in all shapes and sizes, but if we asked you to think of your dream home, odds are you'd picture a nice single-family home on something like a quarter-acre lot. 
By the way, in case this term is new to you, a single family home is a term used for a standalone home that's typically made for one family. It's not attached to other homes like townhomes or apartments. It has its own yard. It's the average home. Anyway, according to a number of surveys, it's the kind of home that most Americans want to live in. Sure, there's some change in preference. Some people like living in a downtown area in an apartment. Some people want smaller yards, but it's important to note that people's housing needs change throughout their lives. Someone who wants a single family home in their 30s or 40s probably lived in an apartment or townhome in their 20s. And in their 60s or 70s, they may want to downsize or move into a place without stairs. There are some other good reasons to provide a mix of housing beyond just single family homes. For example, if you build four homes, each with a quarter acre lot, it'll take one acre of land, but you're also going to need roads to get to those homes. That's more land. And then underneath those roads, you'll need utilities like water, sewer, and gas lines. Then you need to figure out how to get power and phone lines or internet to those homes. Then of course, there's landscaping that could potentially use up a lot of water. All this land and the roads and utilities start to add up and single family homes start to become pretty expensive. And like we talked about last episode, it's made worse by the fact that we have a relatively limited supply of land in the valleys where most of our jobs are. 100 townhouses at 10 units per acre occupies 10 acres. 100 single-family homes each on one acre occupies 100 acres. So you're using a tenth of the space. It is even more pronounced if we're talking about apartments. You might recognize that voice from last episode. That's Ted Knowlton of the Wasatch Front Regional Council. So if people are coming to Utah or they're moving out of their parents' house and that demand has to be met, if we meet it in apartments and townhouses, it means we're using less land. That means we don't grow in the places that we enjoy as rural places as much, like the Wasatch Beck. In other words, having a little housing variety, like some townhomes or apartments, meets an important market need. It preserves land and open space and provides more affordable options for a lot of Utahns. And we'd like to point out, Utahns aren't just turning towards these affordable options to rent, but to buy. Townhomes and condominiums provide a more accessible route into home ownership, potentially even at earlier stages in life. Even apartments can allow people to save up to be able to buy a home. But we haven't always done a good job at meeting the demand for this kind of housing. In fact, about six years ago, Envision Utah and the Wasatch Front Regional Council found that there was a deficit in the townhome market. More people wanted or could afford townhomes than there were townhomes available. We are beginning to see a shift in development to meet this need, however. In Salt Lake County last year, only 25% of new construction was single-family units, while the remaining 75% was multifamily units, like townhomes or apartments, which is probably a good segue to the next consideration we want to talk about, where we build more housing. There are at least four reasons for a boom of multifamily housing in Salt Lake County. One, a lot of people want to live in Salt Lake County. It's where a lot of jobs are, not to mention shopping, entertainment, dining, and a host of other amenities and services. Similarly, number two, there's a lot of existing infrastructure around the county, including roads that can handle new multifamily housing. Number three, there's simply not a lot of undeveloped land in Salt Lake County. Certainly not enough to give everyone who wants to live there a new single-family home on a quarter-acre lot. And number four, the market has underproduced housing for a while, so there's a real shortage to meet all that demand. The multifamily housing is an efficient and affordable way to try and fill in that shortage. But we're not saying that every county or every city needs 75% of new housing to be apartments and townhomes. The same factors that mean that more multifamily housing makes sense in Salt Lake County don't exist everywhere. 
And where the new housing goes also has some big impacts on affordability. Where housing gets built is a big and not focused on enough aspect of affordability because it affects how much households have to spend to get around. Transportation expenses take the second biggest chunk out of a household budget. Housing takes the biggest chunk. So one way to keep overall cost of living down for Utah families is to keep transportation costs down. When housing is within close proximity to high capacity or high frequency public transportation, what do I mean? I mean trains, frequent buses. When it's near those things, it enables a household to possibly live with one less car or to use that car less. That also tends to mean that there's more jobs close at hand, so driving distances are shorter. Those things add up. To put a finer point on this, it probably wouldn't make a lot of sense to build a small handful of single-family homes right around a tracks or front runner station. The few families who live in those homes won't ride enough to make efficient use of the investment it took to build those rail lines. Similarly, we don't usually want to build a big 300-unit apartment complex at the dead end of a winding set of neighborhood streets. That would just mean everyone who lives in those apartments would have to drive through the winding neighborhood, probably multiple times a day. Instead, it makes the most sense to put our densest multifamily housing, like apartments or condos, near public transportation or near roads that can easily absorb a little more traffic. That's called transit-oriented development, development that's designed to get the most benefit from public transportation infrastructure. It's even better if that development is also near jobs or shopping or entertainment or schools. When you put those things together, we call that a center. Now, we could easily do an entire episode on centers. But for now, think of it this way. A really good center is a walkable, easily accessible area that has a good mix of some housing, some stores or restaurants, office space, and some public space like parks or plazas. You might even have churches or civic buildings there. There are big urban centers like downtown Provo and smaller neighborhood centers like 9th and 9th in Salt Lake City. And they can even be smaller than that. The key is to create a place with a variety of uses and some housing. Most of our pioneer era towns had a walkable main street that served this purpose. As we create walkable centers, especially if we put them near public transportation, it affects the way we get around. It means that more people tend to use public transportation. Those that drive don't have to drive as far, and more people will opt to use their bike to get around. Those things mean we have cleaner air. It also means we don't have to spend as much money potentially to build new roads. It means that we utilize our existing local streets and infrastructure more efficiently, which means you don't have to build as much local streets and infrastructure. That saves taxpayer money. Those benefits really add up. On average, the more centers we have within our communities, the more destinations everybody, whether they live in a center or not, can choose to get to within a short commute, which is actually a fairly strong indicator of how well our state's economy can function. This is a measure of how many job opportunities you can pick from. This is a measure of how long your commute is. This is the measure of the available workforce that a business can choose from, which helps them be more efficient. This is the measure of how easy it is to get your goods delivered to homes. All of these things are affected by centers being coordinated with infrastructure, which helps jobs be closer to the population and vice versa. Which brings us to one last point we want to make about the wear of new housing. There are better and worse places to put new single-family homes, and there are better and worse places to put multifamily homes. But we don't want to come across as advocating for housing-type segregation. Strict housing segregation often leads to economic segregation. 
and 25 years of studying Utahns' values have made it clear that total economic segregation is not the kind of future most Utahns want. Generally, Utahns want our communities to be neighborly and welcoming to people regardless of income. Allowing a variety of housing types in every community helps people find housing they can afford in the communities where they want to live. In fact, if you think about your own neighborhood, even if it's a mostly single-family home neighborhood, you can probably think of places where some townhomes or duplexes or even small apartment complexes could go, bringing us a couple steps closer to overcoming the housing shortage and creating just a few more opportunities for people to find housing they can afford. We've talked about what kind of new housing we need. All kinds. And we've talked about where we need it. Everywhere, but strategically. Now let's talk about what it looks like to create new housing in a community, especially one that has historically been made up of single-family homes. A sort of case study. The reality is people are moving in and out of these single-family homes all the time. And there's a relatively narrow slice of life where that housing type is really beneficial to us. That's Francis Lilly, Assistant City Manager and Planning Director for Mill Creek City, Mill Creek only recently became its own city in Salt Lake County, and as the 10th city employee and first planning director, Francis has had the exciting job of laying the groundwork for the city's general plan, city center master plan, and the future of housing and development. Preserving the character of Mill Creek's existing single-family neighborhoods has been a priority for the planning department, in part because they understand the how and the where of the housing crisis. One of Mill Creek's first steps in addressing the housing shortage was adopting an accessory dwelling unit ordinance. These are known as ADUs, or mother-in-law apartments. It's basically adding a small apartment within the existing footprint of a home. Just a quick note, ADUs are not the same as short-term rental units. They're long-term rental units, which means we don't have to tear down single-family homes to create a bunch of new apartments. Instead, we can utilize the existing space, like that basement that just sits as a guest room anyway, to provide housing for Utahns who need it. ADUs can also make the main home more affordable because the owners get a little rental income. Mill Creek has also worked it into their 80-year plan to ensure the new policy is expansive enough to keep these homes accessible to new residents rather than being bought by investors and marked up. We did take it one step further where we actually created a provision for detached ADUs or second homes that are embedded within a lot of the existing residents. And that was a long and complicated process, but I'm proud that we did that because that actually helped stabilize our single family neighborhoods. Beyond ADUs, Mill Creek has approved around four to 500 additional multifamily affordable housing units. Where? In the transit accessible areas that made the most sense. I'm grateful that we had a council that saw value in this. We're using affordable housing as an anchor in our West Meadowbrook area near transit because we also recognize that affordable housing is best served if it's accessible. And maybe one of the most impressive accomplishments of Mill Creek's planning department, the approval and construction of the Mill Creek Common. Not only does it act as an accessible center for Mill Creek City, but its focus on public open space exemplifies how we can individualize centers to match the personality of the communities that they exist within. We decided early on that our city center needed the connective tissue of a really world-class, high-functioning open space that was deliberately programmed and well thought out. And our solution, our specific solution to that was a response to not just a concern among Mill Creek residents to have a place to call their own, but also a place to play. Come to find out, Mill Creek residents love the outdoors and they consider that a part of their cultural identity. Mill Creek Common is not just a public open space, but a recreation venue. It has an ice ribbon for ice skating in the winter that can double as a roller skating rink in the summer. 
flanking the western and eastern edge of the common will be restaurants, 1,800 dwelling units, and almost 150,000 square feet of commercial space. And the new city hall will be built adjacent to Mill Creek Common, with its ground floor serving as a public market that will act as an incubator for new businesses. I'll tell you this, it was an absolute dream. I made a joke earlier on about starting a new city in the midst of a building boom, but it was really exciting because we had a city council that was willing to be creative. We had a community that was willing to take a chance on something that was really innovative, and we just rolled with it. This dream is creating more housing, putting that housing where it can be accessible and affordable, and creating a mixed-use center that can serve as an anchor for the surrounding communities. Now to recap. The biggest thing we could do to keep housing affordable in Utah is to create more housing. The new housing needs to be some combination of single family homes plus some more affordable housing like townhomes, apartments, or accessory dwelling units. We all will benefit most from a variety of housing in every community. But we want to be thoughtful and strategic about matching housing type to surrounding infrastructure and local resources. When we get a combination of housing, businesses, entertainment, or recreation in a walkable, accessible area, we call that a center and a network of centers makes life more affordable and accessible for everyone. But even if we get all of that right, there are Utahns on the low end of the income spectrum for whom the market will not easily provide housing that's affordable. How do we make sure there's housing for them too? Well, we'll get into that more next episode. Thank you for listening to the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. Next time, we'll talk about some innovative solutions already taking place in Utah, Plus, we'll talk about issues like gentrification and how to make housing affordable for people with some of the lowest incomes. Want to know even more about the centers we talked about today? You're in luck. Envision Utah's Creating Communities, a guide to walkable centers, will tell you everything you need to know. The history, the makeup, the benefits of mixed-use centers in Utah, along with tips on how we can bring them to life. You can visit envisionutah.org slash creatingcommunitiesguide to check it out. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who cares about the future of housing in Utah. This podcast is an Envision Utah production made possible by Envision Utah's generous supporters and the many, many Utahns who have worked with us over the years. This episode was written and produced by Shayla Adams with Nate Brown and me, Jason Brown. Special thanks to our expert guests, Ted Knowlton and Francis Lilly. We'll see you all next time for part three in our series on the future of housing in Utah.